If you are here today and you were hoping to see Don, Don sends his regrets. He got on the road, looked out, drove a little ways, called his wife. She said, young man, turn around, come home. You are not going any farther. So uh, he sends his regrets and he will not be with us this morning. He will be rescheduling with us for a later date. So if you are visiting with us this morning and we're hoping to see Don, my apologies to you this morning. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. This is a trifecta chapter. Three stories. Jesus, the master storyteller. Wouldn't you have loved to have sat at the feet of Jesus and just said, Jesus, start telling. You know, uh, this week I had a privilege. Uh, one of our, our members said, hey, Greg, I want to take you to have the best burger in the county. And, and, he, and so we jumped into his truck and went and had probably the best burger in the county. And if you want to know where the burger is, it'll cost you $10. Uh, you, I'll tell you, but for a price. But when we got there, the place was, was, it was we, we got there just at the right time before anyone was, else was there, so it was just us. And so the two owners came out, and I collect stories. And so I started plying them with questions. How'd you need, how did this thing get started? What's your secret herbs and spices? And the guy changed the subject immediately. And uh, just started collecting stories. Oh, I would have loved to have sat at Jesus' feet and tried to collect his stories. That would have been the thing. But fortunately, he records a bunch of them for me. And I can, I can use his. But Jesus tells us why these stories are. I, I'm going to be preaching out of a different version than I normally preach. I normally preach out of the English Standard Version. But today I'm going to be using the New Living Translation, and there's a reason for it. Luke 15, starting in verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I, I like the fact that tax collectors are considered notorious sinners. I like that. Often came to listen to Jesus teach. They had a hunger. People who had an emptiness had a hunger for Jesus. Now there's a reason why they were known as notorious sinners. Tax collectors were known as rip-off artists. They were known as people who, had, who were traitors to the Jewish people. They were known as Roman sympathizers. They were known as people who were banned from the temple. They were told you were not allowed into the faith. They were expelled from anything of God. And now they're hanging out with Jesus. The door to the kingdom of God was open. And notice who doesn't like it. 
Notice who gets mad that the kingdom of God is open to notorious sinners. Verse 2. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain he was associating with such despicable people, even eating with them. So Jesus used this illustration. Now I want to stop there. There's two things I want you to see. Number one, why Jesus began these stories. These stories were for two groups of people. They were for, one, the notorious sinners. But two, they were for their even bigger sinners. The Pharisees and their teachers of the law. Jesus was reaching out to them and saying, guys, you have an even bigger sin staring you in the face and you don't even see it. You have a huge sin staring you in the face and you don't even see this sin. This sin is huge. It's so much bigger than what the the tax collectors have. It's so much bigger. And here's what it is. And it is the same sin that every church has to wrestle with. Every believer in Jesus Christ today needs to wrestle with. They thought they deserved grace. They thought they deserved grace. They thought they were so good that God looked down at them and said, Wow, you are so wonderful. There's something awesome about you. I have to have you. You deserve my grace. Those people, they don't. And that's the second thing. Looking down their noses at someone else and saying they don't deserve grace, but I do. Friends, Apostle Paul put it this way. He says, you know, I've got a pedigree. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee. I have kept the law. I've done this. I've done that. I've persecuted the the people who needed to be persecuted. I've done it all, but guess what? It's garbage. In fact, you want to know the truth? I'm the chiefest of sinners. Guys, you want to know what we should put in our church name? Buffalo Free Church. Home of the chiefest of sinners. Where you find grace even though you don't deserve it. That's what these stories are about. I don't deserve a drop of grace. Neither do you. But God gives it to us. 
But the joy of the fact that I don't deserve grace means I don't have to look down my nose at anyone else. I don't have to get a box out and say, wow, I'm better than that guy. I don't have to play that game at all. Stories told way back when that uh, there was a guy named Bill. And Bill came to a church that they all dressed in their suit coat, had their tie on. And uh, Bill, well, he just met Jesus. He didn't have a pair of shoes on. Fortunately, it wasn't Minnesota. And, uh, you know, it was in the age of the hippie movement. And he came back in, and the church was full. And so he, he walked down the aisle, couldn't find a place to sit. People were kind of doing this as he walked by because he kind of smelled kind of funny because he didn't believe in showers very often. And he sat down right in the middle of the floor. They looked at old Bill. Someone said, what are we going to do about that? Well, in the back of the church was Brother Thomas Brother Thomas was almost 90 years old. Stately man, three-piece suit, had worked in the bank all his life, had a cane, and they heard Brother Thomas come forward. Thunk, 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 thunk. I thought, oh my. Brother Thomas is going to tell that young man a thing or two. Brother Thomas got to the front. He tapped young Bill on the shoulder. He said, young man, my legs don't work so good. Would you help me get on the floor to sit next to you? And so the whole church service, he sat next to Mr. Bill. You see, he was teaching that church a lesson. Everyone else in the church was wanting to, to judge Mr. Bill. But Thomas saw him what he was. He was another sinner saved by grace. And so Mr. Thomas said, that's my brother in Christ. And I don't want him to sit alone on the floor. That's what these stories are going to be about. So Jesus is going to gear them. Not, yeah, they're going, they're going to be for the tax collector and sinner, but they're really for the Pharisee and religious leader. And if we're not careful, church, it may be for us. So the first one, he sits there and he says, now there's a guy, he's a, he has a hundred sheep. Now that meant he, ha- he was a man of some wealth. He was a man of to-do. 
And he says, now, if one of those sheep gets lost, you're going to entrust the other 99 to someone. He's not going to let them run around loose in the field. He gave them to somebody. He put them under care. He, he took care of them. He says, but aren't you going to go out and search? You're not going to leave them to the wolves. You're not going to let them fall down a crevasse. You're not going to let them get torn up. Now that meant that this was a person of some wealth. It wasn't one of the shepherds. It wasn't someone that they had employed. It was the owner. And he finds it. He goes and he throws that on their shoulders. Now, now he didn't just grab this, this sheep by the scruff of the neck. Now, when I was a kid, I went to my, I had some cousins who had sheep. You know what I learned? You don't grab sheep by the scruff of the neck. They don't come real well. If you really want sheep to go anywhere, you got to keep their legs moving. And there's only one way to do it. You got to throw them on your shoulders. But sheep are heavy. But when they get on your shoulders and you bear the weight and you invest yourself, he carried it all the way back home. Notice what Jesus said. You would joyfully carry it. Now it's not, oh shucks, I got to carry this thing home. Oh joy. Filled with joy. It emanates. It's in the heart. It overflows. And when you arrived, you would call together your friends and neighbors. Neighbors aren't necessarily your friends, are they? But your joy is so overflowing, you have to include them as well. You call in the community. And that's what he's saying. In the same way, heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who returns to God than 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. What he's saying here is he's saying, listen here. Aren't we in the business of finding the lost? Isn't that our heart? Isn't that why we exist? And he goes to a second story. Now, now it's talking about silver coins, and we don't get that. You know, it's, we're saying, okay, she was careless with her jewelry. No, she wasn't. This was her retirement fund. This is her 401k. All right? When she was married, this is what she was given to take care of herself in the event that her husband dies. This is her pride. Have any of you ever seen the old John Wayne movie, The Quiet Man? Any of you have ever seen that? Okay. John Wayne goes to Ireland 
he meets, uh, I think it's Marine O'Hara. And of course, you know, the red hair, the whole thing, and she, she and he, of course, are feisty and everything. But she wants her dowry. And her older brother won't give it to her. And John Wayne, coming from America, doesn't understand the importance of it. And so finally there's a a climactic part where, where he drags her back to her brother and he throws her at her brother's feet and says, unless there's a dowry, I'm not taking her. And the brother says, fine, and he throws the dowry at the feet. And they walk over to this fire and she throws all the dowry into the to the fire she goes i just needed to know that i had the dowry given and then she walks off and then you'll have to rent the movie to find the rest of it but dowries were important it established the identity of the woman it also gave her a future And one day she saw part of her future was missing. And so she looked. She scoured. She cleaned. I understood what she went through. I've shared this story with some of you before. Early in my marriage to Donna, I was doing some work around the house and I had slid this ring off and I'd set it on a on a counter. I came back and it was gone. Now we'd only been married a short time. And so I began looking for it. I began thoroughly cleaning the house. My wife began to ask me is do you need anything? I said, no, I just love cleaning house. (laughs) I love deep cleaning, sweetie. I love going through the cushions and turning furniture over and vacuuming behind everything. After a week, I went to her and said, sweetie, I'm so sorry. Uh, This is no reflection of my love for you, but I have lost my wedding ring. She said, no, you haven't. You haven't lost your wedding ring. I saw you had laid it down on the counter and I didn't want you to lose it, so I put it into my jewelry box. I said, why haven't you told me sooner? She goes, because I liked all the cleaning you were doing in the house. through and cleaned and cleaned and she finds it what does she do she calls her friends she calls those neighbors and they rejoice and again that says there's joy in the presence of God's angels even the angels celebrate when one sinner repents and then he goes to illustrate the point further Jesus tells him this story and there is so much cultural truth behind this that I'm going to try to rip the veil 
apart so you can see it. A man has two sons. The younger son goes to his father and says, I want my share of your estate now. Instead of waiting until you die. Now, when you did that in that culture, it would be like me walking up to, uh, let, let's pretend Braxton was my son. Braxton comes up to me and says, Pops, I want my inheritance now. In that culture, it would be like him saying, hey, old man, drop dead. It was the ultimate disgrace. I don't want to live under your control. I don't want to live under your home. I don't, want, I don't care about you anymore. Drop dead. The proper response I would have had would have been to come up to him, slap him, grab him by the top of his coat, by the bottom of his coat, and throw him out on the street and publicly disown him. I could take him out to the outskirts of the town, tell the elders that he was out of control, and have him stoned to death. I mean, this is how serious it is. What does this man do? Well, let's go on and see what Jesus says in the story. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. You say, oh, okay, so he gave him his wealth. Well, understand, he's the little brother. In that day, the older brother got a minimum of the two-thirds of the, of the wealth, and the younger brother got about a third or less. It could be 75 and a quarter. So, you know, and the reason why is the older brother's job is to take care of the family. That's his job. So the little brother got some. What this is saying is he got half. Unheard of. So he disrespects dad, and dad gives him half. Unheard of. So a few days later, this younger brother packs up all his belongings, took a trip to a distant land. This would have been Decapolis in some of your Bibles. That is a part that was under Greek control. It was, it was considered Sodom and Gomorrah. It was considered, in our culture, we'd call it like going to Vegas. He went to Vegas. And there he wasted it on wild, out-of-control living. And about the time his money runs out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. No one remembers him. No one wants to help him. So he's persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. Now remember, we're in Jewish culture. Pigs are unclean. You don't mess with pigs if you're a Jewish boy. A good Jewish boy never hung around pigs. You don't do pigs. That is the worst of the worst of the worst. And he's doing it. Not only is he doing it, the pods, it says it goes on, it says, the boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked, so, looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. There were these pods that they would feed the pigs that, that were unedible for people. They're, they're literally unedible. 
But what he was hoping was that the pig out and maybe he broke them down enough that he could eat them. So he's leading, wanting to eat pig leftovers. This guy is hungry. And notice what he says. I love verse 17. But when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, despair, and here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and son. Please take me on as a hired man. Did you catch that picture of repentance? Here is the message that Jesus is trying to communicate. I am not worthy. I'm not worthy. The boy gets it. The boy gets it. So he throws himself on the mercy of the father. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. This speaks of a father looking. This story is more about the father than it is about the son. I want you to get that. The heavenly father is looking. The heavenly father is looking. Filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. In that culture, in that, that they call it an oriental culture, he does not run. An older man does not run. You run to him if you're young. You do not run if you're older. That is just not done. That is disrespectful. You are a man of importance. You do not run. He doesn't care what culture says. We have a God that doesn't care about culture. He cares about grace. He cares about mercy. And notice what he does. He runs. He embraces him. This is a guy who's been playing with pigs. Have you ever been to a pig farm? We had pig farms in California. You smelled them two miles away. It took about a half an hour being there before you could breathe. This is a guy who played with them, who was covered with them. The last thing you want to do is hug him. He doesn't just hug him, he kisses him. And there's no hesitation. There's no, okay, get a bath, and then come back and we'll finish this scene. And he hugs and kisses. Let that sink in. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were ungodly, God sought us. While 
we smelled like pigs. Not when we were cleaned up. Not when we were beautiful. That's what grace is, folks. Don't forget it. But go on. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father said to the servant, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house. Whose robe is that? It's the father's robe. When the son wears the robe of the father, all they can see is the father. When we become followers of Jesus Christ, we are clothed with the robe of Jesus' righteousness and all that the Heavenly Father sees is Jesus. It's His righteousness. Think about that. He says, Get a ring for his finger. The ring was the sign of the seal. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, friends. Given the authority of the home. And sandals for his feet. Slaves in the home were barefoot. Children wear sandals. We have been made the children of God. Let that sink in. Kill the fatted calf. We have been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost and now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working, and we returned home. He heard music and dancing in the house, and he joined in and had a great time and celebrated his brother's return. You're going the Brawley Revised Standard Version kicked in, didn't it? That's not what it says. What did he do? He asked one of the servants, what is going on? Your brother is back, he was told. And your father killed the, fat, the calf. We're fattening and prepared a great feast. We're celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him. And he replied, all these years I've worked hard for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And yet, when this son of yours... Did you catch that? It's no longer his brother. Your son. The son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing the finest calf we have. Now, I want you to see something. The older brother is right now imitating the younger brother. He 
Prince just disassociate himself from the Father, that's your son. Well, if that's your that's my son, what does that make you? Are you no longer my son? He made him come outside. You, he's doing all the same things. But there's something more. Remember I said the older brother was supposed to get two-thirds or more? The older brother here has messed up. As oldest brother, do we have any oldest brothers? This is what we were supposed to do. We were supposed to walk to our, to our father and go, Dad, I know my brother messed up. I ask that you would forgive him. Even if it cost me my entire inheritance. Even if it cost me my life. I will go and get him. And I will bring him back to you. And I will work to restore the relationship between you and him, between you and him, because that's my role as big brother. Do you see any of that there? I don't. But that's what his job was. I'm sure glad we got a big brother who did that. I'm sure glad that we have a brother in heaven named Jesus Christ. The firstborn of all creation. Who's our God and our King. Who sits as on the right hand of the Heavenly Father interceding for us. And I think Jesus is pointing at the at the religious leaders and the Pharisees and said, you know what, you guys are the big brothers here. Metaphorically, you're the big brothers. Why aren't you doing that for the tax collectors? Why aren't you doing that for the notorious sinners? Why aren't you going out and helping them become reconciled to this Father who longs to run and show them grace and show them mercy? His Father said to him, Look, dear son, you and I are very close and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now... He is found. Oh, friends, may we never forget. May we never forget our call. Our call is to help the lost become found. Our call is to help the lost meet their Father so that they on bended knee can say, I repent and 
to come from dead to alive. May we never forget that we've had to do the same thing. May we never forget that we are not worthy of grace. In fact, I read a, an article this week with a very interesting title. It said, one of the dangers of the church today is that pastors now are preaching a hell we don't deserve and a Jesus we do. May that never be true of us here. Because we don't deserve Jesus. We don't deserve what he's done for us. We don't deserve what he, he gives us. But thank God he does. And let us exalt his name. Let's lift him up and glorify him. Because he gives us grace. And he gives us mercy. And we can freely run to him in our times of need. And let us go out and bring others to meet him as well. May we never be like the older brother. But may we be like the older brother that we've been called to be like. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen.